Alejandro is a screenwriter, actor, and theatrical director who wants to be on the forefront of merging theatrical story and augmented reality. JC does voiceovers and game design. She loves to power lift, and she dreams of owning her own game studio in the future. Together, two friends talk about film, theater, video games, travel, books, obscure anime, and life through the eyes of two working artists while they sit at a big-ass table in North Seattle. Welcome to Others at the Table, a podcast by weirdos that the weirdos don't talk about. Okay, we are Alejandro Steppenberg. And Jada C. Brazil. How's it going? And uh, this is where we just talk about weird things because we're just weird people and no one really wants to talk to us. So we talk to each other. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are talking to you. So if you're secretly weird, welcome to the table. Hey, yeah. Welcome to the table. I like it. We were talking about tea earlier. And so, 30 seconds earlier. Well, 30 seconds earlier. Hey, man, whatever. We still talking about it earlier. It's over now, right? Um, we were talking about tea earlier, and um, I am not a huge fan of rubos, rooibos? Rooibos, rubos. I've heard a bunch of different. It's red tea from South Africa. So I am not trying to hate on my South African brethren, but I don't know how people can drink that shit. Um, it tastes just like the name. If you can kind of imagine to me, like it tastes like, what did I say earlier? It tastes like you've gone to the Serengeti and you just basically put your mouth on some shrub in the heat. Like the part where the root and meets the earth, the earth is what you talking about. And, yeah. and that's a delicacy. Whereas I think it tastes like root beer a little bit. And since I can't have root beer, it's the closest that I'm ever going to get. Dude. And there's this, there is this kind that you can get and lower... And Queen Anne, not Lower Queen, just Queen Anne, the shop called Cedarburg, and they have a holiday version where it tastes like a liquid gingerbread house. I, I don't know about that. I'm intrigued, but I've been burned by this tea before. Stop pouring it on oh. yourself, then. Dude, <laughs> I already finished my own pun. You don't have to go ahead and just... Wedge yourself in. You're gonna do those old man pun jokes. Those are dad I'm jokes. Wearing an old man cardigan. You already, are, you, which I bought off the street. Dude, by the way, just like the shirt. Dude, you you look you do look like someone's theater teacher for real. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> today we are going to talk about the bloody truth, um, surgeries, and old school bloody uh, '90s PC games. And some call from Newcastle that Alejandro had. Which has nothing to do with blood. No, but it was still interesting because you always tell these awesome stories about your European friends who just seem like they're from a whole nother dimension. Europe. You know, I gotta give Europeans this. Y'all motherfuckers are crazy and I love it. Like, you, you don't cut off your foreskins. You can fucking buy Viagra on the street. No, it's just like like in my in my class. I have no shame mentioning this. Uh, in my screenwriting class, actually, the one other American, so six Americans in a class of twenty one. Right. Two of them were men. Uh, myself and then Pat was from uh, from Massachusetts. Worked for ESPN, stand up comedian. His Twitter is hilarious. Um, What's his Twitter? Fake, What's fake his? Pat Shigay. Fake Pat. No, Dirty Girl Pat. 
That's what it is. Oh, it's at Dirty Girl Pat. That's Dirty his Twitter. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's another Twitter someone else in our class set up just for his penis, uh, just for Pat's penis specifically. But the point is that um, Pat and I were the only circumcised men on the course, and so Wh- why? Everyone, why? 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 Everyone else got called. Uh, oh. They were all uh, hooded warriors, and Pat and I were the. The out, we were the others at the table in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! So when when you all laid out on the table, there was everyone, and then and then us separately. You guys lost your helmets. Oh, that's the thing. It happens less so these days. I hear. Speaking of the bloody truth. Oh well, hey, you know that's um, the theme. Let's talk about it. Yeah, Let's talk about onion talk about rings. <laughs> Deep fry that shit. You know, it's, yeah. it's like pork skins. <laughs> we eat pork bung. Why not foreskins? Oh no, I, I mean don't don't do human. I mean, because you know, like pork swords is a phrase for for penises. You never heard that? No. They use it in Juno and other sources as well. No. Pork swords is a one of the many euphemisms out there. I just know. Around. I'm I'm a very Basic girl. I just know about dick, just call cock, it it yeah. third leg, you know, <laughs> you know, anaconda. What, what did the Hodge twins say? Mississippi black snake. <laughs> I don't know many high brand. That's not. Well, I don't know. I don't know what they what they got. What Massachusetts white snake? I don't fucking know. <laughs> snakes actually are there in massachusetts hey welcome back (laughs) anyway um right so you were giving props to europeans is where we were dude Um, yeah my time in london and amsterdam was amazing um london more so i was there during the brixton riots which was awesome because you know londoners know how to do a riot right you you focus your riot against who's actually causing the trouble, you fuck their shit up beyond recognition, then you clean up the streets and you have a fucking bender in the street. <laughs> I'm just kind of like, UK, you know how to do this right. You just, you got me, you got me. And I'm here eating fucking some boss-ass Jamaican food, watching this fine-ass Jamaican guy talking in Jamaican, and then I'm like, there's a disco ball in the middle of the street. Cheers, Brixton. Was anyone dancing? Everyone was dancing. Uh-huh. I think I was the only one who was sober on anything. <laughs> and Brixton is the place that's, uh... yeah, anyway. You know what? Tell me about your time in, when you were in the UK. What happened? Like, I was there for, for two weeks, but you were there for a whole year. I mean, yeah. I know you got into some trouble, but I mean, what can you say? What other trouble did you get into that was not typical... European backpacking trouble. <laughs> uh, well, uh, it took me forever to find a place to live. It took me ultimately it took me a month and a half because I got there September third or second, and which is right when everyone's going back to school, and so everyone is snapping up places. And if you're not on it, you lose it. And oh, by the way, we have the fireplace going because it's cold as hell. It's December in Seattle, and we had snow this week. So just letting you know. Well, we might have snow. Later. Yeah. Um, 
so I so I finally, finally, finally found a place, and I was staying at an Airbnb near Brixton at the time, and lovely man Benny Chindwo was his name. I will never dress that well in my life. I will try, but unless I have whomever dresses, you know, like Eddie Redmayne dress me, it ain't gonna happen. And oh yeah, it's something about a a Englishman in a suit. Was he from England or was he from like another? He was from Africa. Oh, he's from Africa. Yeah. Oh, but he was probably clean as a chitlin, huh? Yes. Ooh. As was the flat. Um, Ooh. Ooh, I'm jealous. And, and so I finally found a place to live, but it wasn't going to be free for a week. And so I extended my stay in the Airbnb. I ended up staying there like 17 days, which was pretty pricey, but it was what it was. And at least I had a place to stay. That's and true. could afford it. Fairly. So I finally moved into the new place, which is in an area called Seven Sisters, which, you know, I was staying on the south side of the river. Mm-hmm. Um, Seven Sisters is north of London, central London, and you, you take the... Uh, the. you take King's Cross to it, or...? Uh, I mean, you, well, you, you would, yes, you would probably go through King's Cross, but you would take the Piccadilly? The Piccadilly? No. No, not what the Piccadilly line. line. What are you talking about? Yes. Yeah. It was the Piccadilly line? Yeah. Okay. You could take the Piccadilly line there. Seven Sisters named for the uh, seven trees. And it's it's a very uh, ethnically vibrant neighborhood. Oh. Uh-huh. And this house happened to actually be down the street from a mosque. Oh, nice. Uh, well, the guy who rented me the place was not such a fan of that. Um, oh. And I should ha- I should have known from the start that this dude was... Anytime someone gossips to you about other people is the moment that you go, you're not the kind of person I want to chill with because you're going to just talk shit about me to somebody else and you just see shit in everybody. And so Ooh. he was talking shit about the people who lived there. Co one girl, a dirty pig. Oh, my God. To me. And so, so I... But I still... I was desperate. And he was being nice to me. I fell for that trap. And so I rent this room... And I had this lofted bed, and I and so I had this like this little couch and desk underneath the bed, and I thought, oh, it's kind of like a little hobbit hole, because that's the nerd in me coming out. And it was going to be pretty cheap for London. It was going to be like four fifty, four sixty pounds a month, which would be like seven hundred something. Oh, that's not bad at all. Right, a house of like four or five other people. They didn't, you know, it, it was generally a fairly quiet house. Um, and so I, I finally move in on a Friday night and I go out immediately to hang out with some screenwriters. Um, I get back that night and I don't sleep and I have this terrible allergic reaction to mold and dust and damp and like the roof of my mouth is itchy. I'm sneezing, I'm freezing. And the next day, it's a Saturday and just call up my mom you know, the seven hours time difference, and say, Mom, X, Y, and Z happened to me. She said, you get out of there right now. I said, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So I called the cab and called a friend that I'd made um, like three days before. I'd acted in a short film of his as we'd been become friendly, and he was another American filmmaker. And I said, dude, can I crash on your couch? And he said, yes, why aren't you here already? I said, great. So it took me an hour 
to drive seven miles at rush hour in London in that taxi with like <clears throat> two suitcases, my satchel, and like four garbage bags full of shit because I packed in a hurry. So that happened, for example. And then I crashed at his place for a week and then I found the place I did end up living. Oh, okay. That's, um, I didn't know this. That's actually kind of interesting. Uh, Man. And that, that couch, by the way, is built for hobbits. Speaking of hobbits, like you had to curl up into a fetal position to actually fit on it. And so I got into this thing where like, I was like stretched out on the like coffee table and the couch just so I could sleep. And ladies and gentlemen, Alejandro's not a big man. Yeah, I'm five foot eight and three quarters. I mean, he's he's actually pretty. I'm not. He's not a string bean, but he's not. He's not big. He's not wide as all outside. Like he's <laughs> <laughs> he is he is fairly a slender man. This couch. Not the slender man. No, not the Slender Man. Let's not talk about bad games right now, can we? Please. <laughs> so let's see. Did, yeah, I said that out loud. Um, did anything else super strange happen? No, I mean, I spent a lot of time writing and in my room or in other rooms working. Like to the point where like I had a date set up with this Nigerian girl and I turned it down. We were going to go, like, play board games at a cafe, and I had to work on my features, so I... You were focused. Uh, I guess so. I didn't really... <clears throat> I don't know. London was an interesting experience for me. I really loved it. I hated to leave. And yes, I did what every fucking American does when you get off, you know, you, you leave fucking Heathrow, and you finally take, you know, the line in, and you... You know, I fucking put my suitcases down, my suitcase down. Uh, <clears throat> I stayed at an Airbnb that was cool. It was actually in council housing that they were actually starting to sell because Brixton at the time was getting gentrified. And so I guess the ministry decided that if you lived in council housing, they gave you the option to buy your flat. So, the yeah, it was certain council housing, you know, projects, I guess, certain projects, but... Um, the woman and gentleman I stayed with were awesome. Uh, they were, they were super awesome. Um, hey, Ed, <laughs> if you hear this, oh, I'm sorry, sorry. Hey, Ed, my lady. Uh, <laughs> and, uh. Is Ed short for Ed? No, it was Ed. No, Ed and okay. your, Ed was a, he was actually a, uh, he was a set designer. So when I went, I actually got to see a local version of The Elephant Man. This was before, what's that actor? Bradley Cooper. Yeah, this was before Bradley Cooper's opening happened. It was actually another one in a really super distant, like, theater, like, soup. Like, it was on the line. It was at least, like, what? I had to take a line and a bus to it. Uh, it took me, like, an hour one way just to go. But it was great. It was so good. Um, I also saw, was it Scarlet? Scarlet was amazing. And Leicester? I saw that? Leicester. 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 And then I went to the theater near the Thames, right? The Thames. Thames. Yes, as you can tell, I'm American through and through. The Thames. But I did get to see The Merchant of Venice um, from people who are actually in the fifth season of Game of Thrones, which was amazing. This was before Brexit happened. Um, and they were actually trying to tell people, please don't let Brexit happen. We, we can't. Um, I met wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, 
I hung out with Jade uh, Wasabi. Um, Jade is actually a composer for Dragonfin Soup. Hey, Jade. Um, we talked about game stuff and nerdery and anime, and we walked around King's Cross and, you know, went to the Harry Potter place and all that stuff. No, I did not go ahead and act like I was pushing the card in the wall. <laughs> Fuck that. I'm not that much of a fucking noob. <laughs> I did buy um, a luggage tag, but that's, that's the furthest I was going with my fandom. My fandom's private, you know? Ravenclaws are like that. Um you retract your clothes? Yeah, we completely retract them. We don't let the fandom out too much. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, I got to really meet a lot of really cool people who worked at Sony, um, who worked at other gaming studios, coders and stuff. Um, saw a lot of plays, ate a lot of great food. It's this place that's near the West End. I don't know it, and maybe somebody can write us. But it's this Australian restaurant um, where everybody is Australian and beautiful. Like I never saw so many attractive people as staff in one place in my life. Coming from the U.S., where the closest you get is Outback Steakhouse, which uh... it it was a, like it was this really they had really cool drinks. This was when I decided to have myself, um, I guess, the Sunday dinner. You know, the Sunday roast. I wanted to have an authentic one. It was during the uh, London Marathon. People were already finished the marathon. And I'm sitting there uh, reading Mona Lisa Overdrive and eating, you know, my puddings and my meats and all that good stuff and my clotted cream and all that shit. And everybody in there who was staff was just fine as hell. (laughs) It was this little place in the West End. You know, you you would literally walk past it, but... Well, how did you find it? I walked past it. Ah. (laughs) I was in the West End at the time trying to get into some mischief, and um, I was hungry, and I can't do mischief on an empty stomach, so I decided to go ahead and eat this spot, but I will say this. It had, like, almost a clapboard shed kind of decor. Like, it was pretty dope, and the food was excellent, but yeah, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean... London has some really attractive people, but these people, they were like tens. And I'm like, how are you waiters? Like, how are you waiters and bartenders? You're all fucking, t- even the chef was a 10. I was like, how is this happening? Like, where- did, did, did the chef cook just by standing next to the food? It was just that hot? She, boy, the, the way he was looking, probably. I was getting cooked. I'm just like, God damn. You know, I'm like, you some fine ass motherfuckers in this piece. Um... What else did I do? You saw lots and lots and lots of great plays. And, um, you know, it was kind of cool just walking down Electric Avenue. You know, and... It is a cool avenue. It is. That's in Brixton. It's in Brixton. Check it out. Um, Green Market right around there. Yeah. Some of the the best chicken. Yeah. No, I didn't even, like, buy from a stand. This was, like, I bought raw chicken, took it home, and cooked it. You didn't even eat any of the Jamaican food, like the rice and peas and shit? Well, I did much later on when I decided to... uh, expand my dietary situation but this was just like went to a you know because there was like a butcher shop every five feet and this particular one bought some chicken and i would trek back across town for months to get this chicken because it was soft it was like velvet that means it was probably freshly choked i guess so okay man London had some, I, I did not get to go to France. I did not get to go, I, I do regret that. I didn't stay long enough to go to France. Um, 
nor did I get to go to like Ireland or Scotland. Like I, I kind of had to stay in London proper, although I had plenty to do. Um, you know, it was just, it, it was one of those things where I felt as an American, America has missed out on a lot of opportunities. Uh, when Jade and I went to the museum, um, we walked around to multiple museums of art, science, and I remember going into my wallet, like, okay, do I have the budget for this? And she just looked at me like I was smoking crack. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she's like, put your wallet away. Everything's free. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming out of the Museum of Fine Art and just cr- sitting on the steps and crying. And she was like, why are you crying? And I'm like, do you not understand that if I go to America, an American museum, a majority of the time, I'm I'm shelling out basically two or three meals just to go ahead and walk in for a couple of hours. And you guys have this for free? Which well, goes, it's not technically free. We pay for it with our taxes. I'm like, fuck that. You had a library that did look like something out of Harry Potter. And you guys can just sit in there and chill. Wi-Fi is all yours, everything. Yeah. Garbage. I call shenanigans on that. So, yeah, I did. I went ahead and kind of, I mean, I didn't get like super uber emotional, but I was just like, your education system is kind of awesome. And she was saying that it wasn't, but I'm like, oh, you don't understand the American school system, dog. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the the person that I ended up living with, Sam, yo, Sam, um, also filmmaker, writer, researcher, all sorts, uh, also gamer, musician, he would fit right well at this table. Um, he came from Kent, and he went so that's southeast of England, um, place that looks a lot like the Hobbiton. Actually, I, don't, I keep going back to that. Um, he talked about the schools system, yeah, it, education system itself, really actually being in a lot of trouble these days. Really, um, but huh. in terms of what like cultural institutions what things that are available to the community that are educational like the prevalence of theater free museums i mean you have that in dublin too oh wow um might not be quite as much but you're right that those sorts of things are on a different level entirely but i i really should find where i've found this thing that i'm about to say but last oh my god two years ago when i was researching stuff for a sci-fi Lovecraftian TV show mm. idea. Um, I came across this article talking about the idea that after the 50s and 60s and when the space race became a political and a warfare thing with mm-hmm. the Soviets, that from that point on, the United States really ramped up its focus on the sciences, mathematics, and really dropped arts and humanities behind as being not important because you needed people with a certain knowledge base to compete on this Cold War level. And that we are still experiencing the ripple effects of that mega shift in priorities. Not 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 that it was, you know, super friendly to go into theater in the forties, but No, it wasn't. But I understand what you're saying. I mean I don't really I mean I I respect the arts and sciences. I mean I, I I cope, you know, I have to. Um, I don't think the sciences are what makes the world go round entirely. Like, I think there has to be a balance between the arts and the sciences. You need to have creative thinkers 
who can do calculus and play the trumpet. You know, you need them both. You know, you can't just like I wouldn't say that everyone should be an artist because, you know, there's some disorganized people out there in the world and giving them the sword of art is like asking for trouble. <laughs> I wouldn't want the world being completely artistic, nor I want would I want it to be scientific. But there is something about that, the way that participating in, you know, exploring, tapping into your latent creativity, whether it's, you know, coloring while you have a beer, you know, like just doing like a mandala. Uh, coloring something uh, or coding or acting or carpentry like whatever it is my experience of when you engage that enough it can start to positively impact the rest of your life i like that the ways that you and it's not even it's not you know think about it like working out you know if you study yourself in the mirror every single day you're maybe not going to notice a change but if you start working out, don't look at a mirror for two months and then come back to it. If you, It's that moment of like later on after integrating something into your life when you decide to consciously become aware of it yeah. again. Uh-huh. When you become a bit self-reflexive in that sense, when you step outside and look back in. I would advocate that, that you notice an impact in the way that it shifted your perspective, the way that you relate to the world, the way you relate to people, the way that you solve problems, the way that you can sort of stretch your mind laterally. Interesting. Intriguing. That's my pitch for art. Your pitch for art. Okay. (laughs) We've been talking a lot about the UK, but one last thing before we switch topics, because, you know, we got to stay on task here. Um, If you are in London, please, please, please go to Hog. It's in the outskirts of London. It's called Heart of Gaming, and it literally is a fight club for games. What? They have a Twitch. It's Hog UK. Um, and I thought I was serious about my games. Hog, you pay they go full hog. Full hog, like full hog, meaning they have a whole. They they basically repurposed a factory to be an arcade you pay seven pounds and you can stay the entire time well, if you that's a good deal if you have your own uh saves on like a ps4 or xbox one or whatever you bring them in and you can just hang out um i actually did buy some um some hoary buttons because i do mod street fighters you know like street fighter or fighting sticks you know um, mad cats or horries, and so I bought some parts there. Great place. So Hog Heart of Gaming, look up their Twitch. They do have a Twitter as well. And I guess if you really want to have a very cool kind of Street Fighter competition experience, if you're into it, because I do play Street Fighter, you know, five and uh, who do you play? Ooh, um, I now. Oh God, I feel so horrible because. Was it the Brazilian chick and the newest one? I play her. She's like a, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu master. I play her. I love her a lot. Um, but in the older Street Fighters, it's Cody. Like, I'm straight up a Cody girl. Like, I'm all about that Cody life. <laughs> and I don't play anyone else. Um, Street Fighter 2, it was definitely uh, Chun-Li and Vega. Wow. Um, 
but I am definitely a Cody person. I don't know. I just like his combos. He has a really good, good chain that I like. I mean, is he stronger as much as like Ryu and Ken? No, but he's fun to play. And he's one of those guys that just kind of piss people off if you're really good with him because you shouldn't be good with him because <laughs> no one cares about Cody except for like me and one other dude in probably South Africa. Well, see, that's how I felt about you don't even uh, play. What are you what, talking about? No, I mean when when I was when I when I went okay, okay lady. When I went to soccer camp when I was like seven, eight, nine, and ten, and it was on lunch, and in the canteen, because we were playing at Xavier University, um, there you know, and, and also like my father used to manage a movie theater and he had arcade machines there and he was right next to an arcade. And I got blasted one time because I was playing the um, the X-Men game with the it was like the double wide. With the six characters, you could be like Nightcrawler, Dazzler, mm, the Marvel versus Capcom. No, no, no. This was like a, this was oh, the, no, the beat em up. Oh, the X Men beat em up with Rogue yeah. and everything else. They did a version with the Simpsons later on. Love that okay. and Cowboys of Mumesa. I don't know what that is, but I'll take your word for it. But on that game, I spent six and a half dollars once, and I borrowed three of it from from like one of his workers. Yeah, and he, after that, he like he put a cap on how much money I could spend. Oh my on god! Games. But the point is that Street Fighter Two, uh, not that I was very good, but I just played DJ all the time. I just oh, you're a DJ I person. Was roundhouse kick everything. Walter is uh, Walter's my husband. He's cool, dude. Walter plays a lot of Dudley. He's about that Dudley life. I hate Dudley. Dudley gets on my nerves, but he's good. Like <laughs> he's good. Like Dudley's cool. He's cool. It's just he annoys me because people who are good with Dudley are dangerous. So I'm just saying that. Who's the in, in the more recent one? They, they they had this new fighter, and she was like she had a bunch of purple clothes. Her name G G. Oh, name. the Korean-looking chick. Oh, Maybe. dude, I don't know. I just play people. I, anyway, I, I'm, I'm, I'm. So look, <laughs> I play. I don't memorize shit. I just play. I memorize combos. I don't really care about names. I'm sorry. So forgive me, Street Fighter advocates and loyalists. Please forgive me. Give me a pass. I still play. I still mod my sticks. I still understand my combo chains. I got you. Focus attacks. Just, just don't, don't do this to me. Um. Also, one other place to go, <clears throat> if you are a Street Fighter person or if you're into uh, Movos, is Meltdown. The place does look like something out of train spotting. They serve these very, very, very strong shots. But if you are into Team Fortress, if you're into Street Fighter, if you're into anything that is MOBO or multiplayer, that's the place to go. And the bathroom does look like something out of train spotting. Just warning you. Maybe I went there on a bad day. But oh man. <laughs> Both the male and the female bathroom. Well, when, when you've been playing for a long time and you finally rush to the bathroom. Dude, between... even the flies were getting into that shit. Like the flies had their own sticks. I'm like, come on, Meltdown. <laughs> like for reals? Is this some European shit? Like, come on now. We, 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 we can't do this. We can't do this. But they're probably going to be like, fuck you, dude. I'm just, okay. So anyway, please. Hog and Meltdown, if you are a gamer going to London, that is the pl- these are the places to go, and I vouch for them, even with Meltdown's bathroom. I'm going to throw in on the other side of the spectrum, if you're in London, and if my friend Whit Hertford 
Heywood is able to get back. He's still, I think, waiting to hear this decision. Uh, he, he's a director. He was there for school. We Friends of friends from college. Um, he's in a theater company called Riot Act Theater Company. Everything I've, I mean, I, I've been, I've left, I've been left weeping after shows. I've been left wanting to run in the streets and just like yell the word art and every, like it's just, I it just the shows make me mad in this really weird way. I don't know what he does. It's magic, um, but he pours his soul into everything from the poster to the performance, and he did me a great service by uh, producing a mini festival of Shakespeare new works and inviting me to write for it and write with a another screenwriter friend of mine uh from my course and so if he's ever if you ever see something by riot act theater or a play by Whit hertford do it okay others at the table is sponsored by gilmore studio located in seattle's old valor neighborhood since 2012 Gilmore Studio offers training in the Meisner Technique to individuals that are committed to developing the skills and qualities essential to truthful acting. All classes are taught by Greg Gilmore. Greg Gilmore studied acting with Sanford Meisner at the Neighborhood Playhouse in New York, Robert X. Modica at his studio in Carnegie Hall, and William Alderson at the Alderson Acting Studio in Hollywood. Enrollment is based on an interview with Greg Gilmore. For further questions or to schedule an interview, contact info at gilmoreactingstudio.org. For more information, check out gilmorestudio.org. So I'm hoping this will be comedic. <laughs> because I don't know how comedic this Newcastle phone call you had will be. Is it comedic or should we go ahead and move on? Let's probably move on for now because it, it also gets into like Angel Reiki and all sorts of other oh man journeying that... and shamanism and it's a whole oh, that Reiki. Did you know I was a level two master? No. Yeah. Can we, can, whole... we some, can we do some Reiki sometime? Whole thing. Sometime. What? That was that was when I was like seventeen. Yeah, but I got my certification. Wow. Yeah, I, mean, I, I dabbled a bit when I was younger as well, but I never got certified. Yeah, no, I got certified. It was weird. It cost me like a hundred and twenty-five bucks. I was working at um. GameStop at the time, but I was really super metaphysical into like stone healing and everything at that time. Oh, I was a '90s kid. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. Everyone was doing everything no, crazy no, back I'm in the into '90s. Now, so I'm not, you know. Oh, dude, I'm I have so many anything. fucking healing stones back there, and I'm just like they're in my nightstand, just chilling, healing <laughs> themselves. <laughs> so, you know. All right, <clears throat> let's talk about the nose that knows. Because nothing can be greater than hearing gross surgery stuff for nerds. And uh, we'll say, by the way, this isn't a Jewish joke. I legitimately had a nose job. And by nose job, I mean surgery on my doubly deviated septum. As Jesus. In, as in it was you know slanted one way at the bottom and the other way at the top. And I guess it grew into this. Well, I wasn't born with it. Some people, it happens by injury and all that. But the cartilage was just on a slant. I also had um, the the muscles and tissue, I guess the tissue around like my up, between upper lip and nose was swollen with fluid. And oh. my turbinids were like 
What is a turbinate? I don't actually. It's something up at the top of the nose, but they had to do a graft on it. Um, so like when when they when I went finally, this is after years of trouble. And like right before I went to London, I got went to my primary care doctor, and he looked up my nose and he said, "Try some nasal spray." So I did, and it didn't work. And then I just dealt with it for a year because you know when I went to London, even though you get free healthcare, I never actually signed up with a doctor. So you just kind of went whenever. With no, whomever? I just never went. Period. I did. I did do some acupuncture and and acupuncture massage, but otherwise, I never had need. Minus the time I just located my shoulder, and then I just went to the hospital. So you know, um, but I get back and I go to my primary care physician again, and he sends me to a specialist, and the specialist sticks some cameras up my nose. It felt like the Matrix or something. He's easily, I felt them like go past the cavity into my face, and <laughs> I guess they were like eighty percent clogged. My nasal passages and all this. It was just. This is bad news. And I thought I could smell things. Obviously not. So I had the surgery on Friday. It's an hour long, which I didn't realize is actually a long time to be operating on a spot, let alone someone's face. And I only learned a little bit about, like, they had to go in and, like, peel shit back. And he had to go and actually forcibly, like, straighten my septum, that cartilage out. And... um. Holy moly. Yeah, it was, uh, and, and, and so I go, I, yeah, I go in and then I, and they're, 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 they're doing the anesthetic and I'm having a good time. And I have about five seconds where I can feel everything just inflate and flow. And I went, oh, this is, this is real nice. And then I was, you know, gone. And then I had this really traumatic wake up because I just very slowly come to my senses you know with my eyes shut because they have like this ice pack over my face and I'm in you know there's I'm in there's just like beeping and people walking and people in pain and it was it was very disturbing and disorienting Hmm. and I actually ended up crying I mean partly because my throat was so sore because they had like a breathing tube down there but also just the, the stress and shock of all of these pained stimuli. Oh. Yeah, it was like people groaning, moaning in pain, things beeping, and lots of manic energy, and it was just blasting into me. And what I really should have done was arrange for some kind of like, you know, brought an iPod with some headphones and like, because I guess you can do this, you can ask for them to like put it in and play you some music so that you wake up well. I did not. So I was crying and trying to get, have them get me out of there. And they finally got me out of there. Did you think you were in purgatory? Did you think you didn't make it? Uh, no, uh, interesting question. I Once I figured out what, like, once I was able to discern, because initially it was like it was just beeping and my brain just didn't know what that was. Once I figured out what things were, I knew, oh, I'm just in recovery of this thing, so I wasn't worried at all about it. But it did take me a little bit to actually get the bearings of what was going on. So they take me out of there, and I have these stints in my nose. I don't quite know what those are, but I can look up and I can see these things that are, like, keeping the shape of my nose. And my nose is quickly, like, filling up with dried blood, um, mm-hmm. you know, like lava overflow. And, you know, the, I, I, I was not a fan because... Of the fact that 
Like, no one really talked to me afterwards. The doctor didn't. He talked to my mom, but he didn't say anything to me. Otherwise, I didn't get any information. I had, like, one handout about, like, if you have severe bleeding, call us. And it was like, otherwise, I had no map for how to deal. So, like, the next day, for example, I called the doctor and he said, look, I can't breathe out of my nose. Should I be able to? And he said, oh, yeah, get some hydrogen peroxide and a Q-tip and clean your nose. I said, yeah, you could have told me that, but instead I was panicking. But then that night, that night, they gave me Percocet for pain. Mm-hmm. And I think by the time I went to bed, because I got out of the surgery at like 4.30 in the afternoon, and I was home by 5.30, Seattle traffic in the rain. Mm. But um, I take this Percocet, and by the time I go to bed, I've you know I've had probably two or three over the course of that time. Ooh. Okay. And fuck me, I had there was one other time in my life I've seen my brain leap and race like that. You ever have this thing when you go to like Wikipedia to look up, you know, like you know Street Fighter because you want to find out like who the original designer was or something like yeah. that and then six clicks later you're reading about the fall of the soviet union you it, it the the wikipedia is kind of like you know yeah it's the the wikipedia rabbit hole kind of like the netflix rabbit hole yes yeah. i've done so that my brain was doing this like i'd be lying there and i would try to like count my breaths just to focus and calm down so i get one two three and then an image would come into my head and that image would send me like six and so like and now all of a sudden five minutes later i realized oh i was counting my breath but now i've just been like remembering the plot to some you know movie i saw as a child like it well, was maybe that was you just coping dude i mean was, someone had surgery you had surgery in your face well yeah i i get i guess i didn't quite register the trauma that that would be to the system but like i just i had to keep getting up so i can't I can't just lie here and have my brain race. The only other time this has happened, freshman year of college. Yeah. My, fr- you know, I'd been away from home for about the longest I'd been away from home was five weeks in my life to that point. Right. And so here, by this point, it's mid October. It's midterms. I've been away for. Um, it's not much more than five weeks. It's yeah, maybe like seven, and. I haven't been sleeping well for like three days for whatever reason. And, and I'm on the, the dorm food plan. So I'm in the middle of accruing my freshman 15, eating the, the salty pizza. And they have the soda machines. And I'm tired. And it's a midterm. And I think I was doing, you know, like we had a movement thing. And I might have been reciting The Raven. Mm. And, or no, we, and we also had a movement piece um, that I'd like, you know, that I'd, we'd done with someone to call plays The Scientist. And so I had my Nalgene water bottle and I filled it 32 ounces of not surge, but like vault. That's what it was. What? Vault. Have you ever drink this? So surge was something in the 90s, which was basically like. I know what surge is, okay, but I never heard vault, of it. Vault is the new surge. So it's it's still electric radioactivity. But. I didn't know there was even like a bride of surge. That's. <laughs> <laughs> and this, so this was this was vault, and I drank thirty two ounces of it for Dude, breakfast. Dude, you were coked up. If and then been I surged. drank another thirty two on the way down. I, I walked downhill to campus on the way to my final. So did you snack on cocaine Tic Tacs? <laughs> 
couldn't get a hold of any. Oh shit! Okay. But um, college, <laughs> college in Utah. True. Um, so I do the final. Everything's cool. Get back to my dorm room, and it's like three o'clock in the afternoon, and I freak the fuck out. I had a girlfriend at the time, and like I'd sent her a gift, and I wasn't sure if she was gonna like it. And I was stressing out. I ended up calling. I called my mom. I also ended up calling my high school English teacher. I called this man at home, Dr. Jones. While you're coked up on Volt. Pacing in my dorm room. And he let me just go. And then he he said some encouraging things. But I, and and then about like 6 p.m. I crashed. And my mom told me later it sounded like a bad drug trip. That's a lot of caffeine. 64 ounces of caffeinated sludge. Fuck why did you do that? I, I there, there, some ways I really overthink. In some ways I just don't research and say fuck it. And I thought I was living dangerously, and so, and so I did that. So, so, so that's what the Percocet experience was like. <laughs> because no, because like growing. The, here's another. I, I know we're talking a lot about me here, but no, we should. Um, Oh, but, but like when I was twelve, I read. You always find some way to have a trip off of something. When I well, <laughs> so here's the other one. When I was twelve, I read Dracula. Okay. And you know, gr- growing up, like it's not like I lived in a prudish household. Like my mom tells me, she's still surprised I didn't hear her and my dad. Um, <laughs> I don't remember. Maybe I blocked it out. But like. And, you know, I watched, like, the movie Excalibur a lot, and this has um, John Borman, like, filmed his daughter naked, being raped. So, like, I'm, I'm familiar with uh, with bodies, with sexuality. It was a liberal household, I guess you could say. But when I read Dracula, and I was 12... I, I realized I was like keyed right into that same level of the Victorian relationship to sexuality because that book was very transgressive and exciting to me. I mean, it was my titillating. One, yeah. It was one of my favorite books for a long time. I've probably read it more than any other book, even like six or seven times all the way through. And because, I mean, as a monster, besides the xenophobia of dark, mysterious man from the East come to take your women. The other side of Dracula was for the Victorian people who, you know, were wearing, like, they were like onions with their clothes. Onions with, I'm sorry, I'm just seeing this onion <laughs> in, a, in a corset, <laughs> in a fan, like, slow tate. Very round. With yes, a, with like a this frame. corset is not working. <laughs> but... Um, but like I, that that was for me a very transgressive thing. Just that book, which is not the sexiest book. It has its moments, but it's not like it had a bigger effect on me than maybe it. it sh- no, every book, you know, it it depends. I have a few books that have that. That wallop. I was seduced completely. That book for me, and it's not classic, it isn't, but it it, it kind of, well, two of them. 
blew my mind wide open about the transgressions of humanity, even though I know it's not really high art. The first would be Stephen King's It. Which I've never read. Um, knowing that a child could be brutally murdered mm. was very eye-opening, reading that at a young age. Like, I guess how Stephen King wrote that is like, if you have a pulse, you're free game. And having a child brutally murdered kind of put me in perspective. Like, I'm a little person. I mean, I read this book when I was like 12, 10. Um, and uh, I was like, holy shit. Adults are crazy. They'll kill anybody. <laughs> you know? So I was like, okay. And then the second book that blew my mind open was Dean Koontz's Whispers. That book, I have read that book three times. And it's still, to this day, 20 years later, creeps me the fuck out. I mean, it had everything into it. Incestuous relationships. Oh, I mean... I mean, I, I don't even want to give it away. It's so good. It's a thick book, but you're just like, okay, this is kind of fucked up. And Dean Koontz is like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. You think it's fucked up with that? No, we're we going to put that girl back in her room. Let's talk about what happens with her kids. And you're just like, oh, oh, oh. Now, so why do you think he created that story? whispers to me I think the time that I was reading Dean Koontz I was reading a lot of his books that were very dark sexually very depraved um because I read whispers I read a lot of John Saul I had to put John Saul down I couldn't do John Saul after a while um it's not like he's a bad horror writer. It's just he had this theme with kids that I just couldn't do anymore. You know, it was just, it was almost, you know how you, if you, you have you ever read any of Heinlein? A little bit. Like, I can't do a lot of Heinlein. Um, because Heinlein, after you read his stuff a while, he's just a dirty old sci-fi man. <laughs> you know? He's just dirty, you know, just, <laughs> I'm sorry. I love Stranger in a Strange Land. I got it. But I'm just like, Heinlein, either you don't fuck quality pieces of ass or you just don't get any ass at all. Like, it, 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 it just, it's like everything's about him fucking something. Like, I swear to God, if it was like a scientific potato who can talk to you came to Heinlein, Heinlein's like, I'm fucking this, you know? So this is why I don't, I don't read a lot of Heinlein. But John Saul... He had this thing about people from the ages of 12 to like 15 that I just couldn't stomach anymore. And so I had to go and put that aside. And then I had, I read Whispers and then I read Mr. Murder. And those two books to me from Dean Koontz was very, how can I say this? It was a dark, primal sexual need but not the need of connection but one of dominance 
Like, it's not enough to kill you. I have to mentally, physically, spiritually break you before I kill you. And those two books, especially Whispers, which had like, I didn't see that shit coming. Period. Those two books were just like, okay. Um, I try to read Whispers once every couple of years, reread it, uh, because it's not a tough read, but if you have a very active imagination, it's a trip with no luggage. Um, and it's one of my favorite Dean Koontz books. It, like, I know some people think that Stephen King is not this great writer, like he's basically like the Bon Jovi of authors, but... When you read, um, when you read on writing by Stephen King and then you reread his stuff, you see a man who was fighting his demons with every single book and it kind of brings a different depth to it. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Like I would totally recommend that. Um, also, um, I do like his short stories. It was my favorite is, uh, Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Um, those are really good. They're not really celebrated um because you know like skeleton crew like his his short stories are not really celebrated as his you know big no- novels like you know the stand or you know or you know carry. the green mile shit like that it isn't you know because it's not it's the part of stephen king i think that a lot of people don't want to see and it's a part of dean Koontz's books that i think a lot of people don't want to read because they will make you uncomfortable because mm. they kind of tap into that point of are you primal enough to be destructive. Actually, well, and Stephen King has one story. I read it. Um, I was in a small town in upstate New York called Jordanville. And it was like the kind of place where the, the cemetery had graves from the Revolutionary War. And I found a book of his short stories in the library. And I read it there. Just the one story. It was called Lady Fingers. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Fucked me right up it was i've rarely been that unsettled and i have i tell everybody about i've never forgotten you should you should read chattering teeth i don't know if i want to stephen king um why he's one of my favorite authors is not i don't really read a lot of his newer stuff it's kind of like depeche mode to me I liked Depeche Mode when they were still on the drugs because that shit was just like, like, okay, this is horrible for me to say because I shouldn't be because I like they're clean, right? And you want them alive and you want them still doing art, even if the art is not as intense. But I do have that streak of selfishness that some artists are amplified when they're on something else. Hmm. And Stephen King, when he was a drunk and on coke is a very brutal, unforgiving Stephen King. And am I glad he is clean? Oh, thank God I am. Am I glad that he survived the hit from the van? Oh, thank God, yes, because I really wanted you to finish the Dark Tower series. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate that shit. But do I sometimes wish I could read another thinner yeah 
I mean, don't get me wrong. Cookie Jar is good. Short story, love it. But the Bachman books, super intense. Um, his short stories way back in the day, super intense. It, super intense. Where do you stand since we're on this bent now? Because my, my, my next evolution after Dracula was whenever I would go into Barnes & Noble, there was one right across the street from where I lived in high school, I would see on the end cap was this book cover and it was a mess of gargoyles and it was Clive Barker's Books of Blood. And it was his first three books of short stories that Stephen King read. And he gave the very generous pull quote of, I have read The Future of Horror and his name is Clive Barker. And hmm. that, that to me, because he, he's, you talk about Stephen King wrestling with demons. From my experience of Clive Barker, and Clive, if you're listening, please correct me uh, if, if you feel compelled. But like, it seems much more someone who relishes in the demons, the images, the guilt, the blood uh, that he's drew, drawn from Catholicism and from a very troubled childhood of being a closeted gay man in Liverpool. Um, who, you know, he was he was doing fly-by-night theater when he was very young and doing some, re- I mean, some, some of his plays I couldn't stomach. He's one called Frankenstein in Love. It's about a revolution in a unnamed South American country. And it's like a, the Frankenstein there was like a Joseph Mengele kind of character. And there's like the set is just full of like bodies hanging from meat hooks and shit. And I, I could I couldn't. There's one monologue for, I kept using for auditions because it was so visually powerful. But I graduated to Clive Barker, and there was um, his one book called Weave World, uh, which is this like this entire world that's been woven into a rug. And this 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 guy, and um, and you know, it's like sort of where the fairies, the secret people are. And at one point, this character whose father was known to be crazy um, falls off this ledge towards the carpet, and suddenly finds himself flying. And in that world, and he goes into that world, and, and he, when he comes back out, he now has to um, sort of protect it from the people who want to, you know, the, the evil forces who are coming for it. And one of the evil forces, her name is Magna Mater. She's one of three sisters, and she slops around, raping men, giving birth to these like slime demon babies, who will then go and like kill their fathers. And there's something about reading that character and their, her action that I cannot read it without feeling like I'm getting paper cuts on my cock. It's, it's disconcerting immensely. But I would be curious what you're, if you've read much of him or what your experience You know, I, I haven't. And I will admit that because um, when I read some of Clive Barker's work, initially i forgot what i read too that's that's how much i was just like nah um it wasn't that i guess i'm more of a realistic horror person um i think that's probably why i like Mm. i like stephen king and dean Koontz as far as my horror goes because it's rational it's human it's not like clive barker kind of goes out there. I mean, and I'm not, it's not a bad thing. It's just, it's not my bag. I like, I respect his art, you know, but it, it kind of like, he kind of, to me, it's like, I'm cool with this creme brulee, you know? I'm cool with this, 
you don't need to go ahead and dump a cheesecake on top of it. I got, <laughs> I got the dairy. You know, I got it. You know, I got it. But what I liked from Kuntz and King is that they, they have characters that are real, that have been pushed to their limits, and this is what happens. You know, something's not coming out of another dimension and being like, hey, I'm about to go ahead and slap you with my phantom dick and you are going to infect the world. You know, it's not like that. But it's like, it asks you the question, what happens to the girl that gets picked on and has psychic powers and has no barriers? She has no restraint because she's been restrained so much. What would you do? I think they ask the questions of what would you do that I like. To me, I feel like Clive is just like, don't worry about what you're going to do. Just worry about you ain't going to survive. That's why I'm kind of like, eh, okay, if I'm not going to survive, if I'm not going to at least be human with my horror. Well, see, I guess he, he from from everything that he says, because I've you know, gathered all sorts of quotations and things, especially when I was writing a lot of horror, um, he really loves, and similar to Del Toro, accepts... Um, even more so, perhaps he he really likes to find what he would call sort of like the, the beauty or the tragedy and like in the wounding of things and and in the monsters and in these darker places. So he likes to get really grotesque and sort of like whatever you would be afraid of or whatever would gross you out or turn you on, and then really sort of mythologize it. And make it much, yeah, I guess he, he really does go for the fantastical, the bigger than life, because that's where he finds, um, I guess that's just what he did. That's what he finds beautiful. I mean, I know we got to kind of wrap it <laughs> up, but it, it, like, I guess, for instance, if you want to know what kind of horror I like, um, prime example of movies I like would be Dead Calm, starring Billy Zane and Nicole Kidman. Okay. Um, another... Oh, I just had it on the tip of my tongue. Shoot. Oh, the one with John Goodman and Denzel Washington. Where it was uh, the criminal uh, the criminal who got electrocuted. He's like, I'm coming back for you, Denzel. And he basically body hops, the soul body hops from person to person. I heard about this. I haven't seen it. Oh, God. That movie is terrifying. And because it's it's a it's not really a horror, it's a thriller. But I guess what I like about both of those is like it's human. Like someone is so selfish that they're willing to play with their prey before they off them. And that's what I like. But it's another human because I I still kind of reside in this grounded world that humans don't need monsters. We're monsters ourselves when given the proper stimuli and the proper kind of environment. We can be our own demons. And so that's what I like. I like authors who kind of encapsulate what a human really is. Oh, well, see, and see, I, I guess this is fascinating because I'm the exact opposite because to me, not opposite, but to me, if it's, I don't dig on the real things precisely because you know they're too real. And I don't, like, if it exists in life, I don't particularly want to, like, like, I can just watch the news if I want to see dark shit like that. I don't... I mean, obviously, Carrie isn't on the news because of psychic powers. And that, 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 that is... But that, to me, like, that, that does bring in this other heightened element that allows you to step away and be 
a bit more um, a bit more analogistic or um, metaphoric with it. But like, if it's for me, if it's too real, like, did you ever see The Strangers? No. It's it's a home invasion movie, and it's very well done. But like, I just I just find it too difficult. I can't. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I. We should kind of in there. Because, I mean, we can probably go on for this forever, huh? <laughs> All right. We didn't even get to talk about Harvester. Well, we'll talk about Harvester, which relates to this. Yes. So let's go Next ahead time. and let's do that. This has been Others at the Table, a podcast by weirdos that the weirdos don't talk about. Updates every two weeks on Mondays. And check us out on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. For updates and to check out our blog, check out Last Train Theatrics, L-O-C-E-M-O-T-E dot me, L-O-C-E-M-O-T-E dot M-E. Again, that's L-O-C-E-M-O-T-E dot M-E. Sound design and recording is by Puri, L-L-C. Music by Justin Mehar. It's called Pumped. <laughs>